Hello, and welcome to the Accelerated Culture Podcast, a sonic journey through the vibrant and revolutionary sounds of the 1980s and 1990s. In this podcast, my co-host Rob and I will dive deep into the era of new wave and alternative music, exploring the infectious beats, introspective lyrics, and groundbreaking experimentation that defined a generation and left an indelible mark on the music landscape. Join us as we unravel the stories behind the music that shaped an era. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Accelerated Culture Podcast. I am Rob. And I'm Lori. And we are back to bring you some spooky season magic. Yeah, I'm so excited. You know I love this album so much, and this is the perfect time of year for it. And I have no problem with breaking away from the chronology to do this either. This is fun. Yeah, so we're speaking of the 1985 Oingo Boingo classic, Dead Man's Party. We got an anniversary coming up here. It was released on October 28th of 1985. Wow, I think I just felt a liver spot form somewhere from knowing this. <laughs> God, this album for me, though, I, I had it on cassette. I'm not lying when I say I wore this out. I mean, I have literally listened to this, and I still listen to it so regularly. This is one of my favorite albums of all time. I was not so blessed. I did not really get into this album until probably the early 90s. But then again, as we've discussed both on the show and off the show, growing up in Gunrack, Ohio, did not allow itself to a lot of alternative music at the time. And the stuff we did get was the more mainstream stuff you would expect. Certainly nothing as cool as Oingo Boingo outside of, of course, the one soundtrack song we'll discuss here at the end. So this, having not listened to it a ton over the years like you have, going back and listening to this for this show was almost like a completely fresh new listen for me. And I'm really glad I had that opportunity because the enthusiasm that I imagined that I can't even remember the first time I heard it, the enthusiasm for this all came back all over again, hearing a lot of these songs, quote unquote, for the first time. So this was an absolute joy for me to plow through this album and it is a good good album there's not a i don't think there's a weak track on here except maybe the the track that seems like it's just added on because okay and i'm sure you'll tell us what that is when we get to it but no i'm with you i don't think that there is a bad track on this album and i don't get tired of listening to this i mean this it, it's phenomenal as i was telling you when we were talking about this i mean this album has become a part of my dna at this point I had no idea until I started doing some of the history. I didn't realize this band went all the way back to 1974. Yeah. I had no idea. I knew that they had had a previous incarnation, but I had no idea it had started that early in like, in time. No idea. I was five. <laughs> that blows my mind completely. But yeah, so I I also found it interesting that Danny was not always part of the group that this whole group started off as his brother Richard's vision of things. Right. You're speaking of Danny and Richard Elsman, the founding members of the band. And uh, they started off as like an avant-garde theater troupe named the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo, which 
Richard Elfman actually founded, right? Yeah, I believe they started, it was like a almost like street theater when they began. And then later on, they morphed into more of a theatrical musical group doing like concerts and stage work and such. And there was kind of a bit of a movement going on, I think, in Southern California at the time with this kind of musical theater stuff. Yeah. Ah, gee, how much time did I spend in L.A. when I was five? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm trying to think, are the tubes, are the tubes San Francisco or are they L.A.? Because the tubes also had a, they kind of started as like a performance art. San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. So that was not, not quite the same part of California, but. They had their own weirdness up there. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the thing I found really interesting is just kind of reading a little bit more about Danny Elfman and his background. I mean, he, he's known now an Academy Award-winning composer, but he started off as just kind of this nerdy teenager who decided to take off and travel the world. So he was 18. He went to France for time he spent about three months in Europe when he was in Paris he discovered burlesque theater and so there's some influences there I think in the music and then he traveled to Africa and found himself kind of hitchhiking across Africa some of the influences that he picked up there were uh, Nigerian folk music being played by street buskers and then this was a genre of music I wasn't even familiar with it's something called highlight which is a an African pop music genre. It's kind of a fusion of European jazz with like calypso music and African beats. And it's somebody, one author I was reading said it's similar to ska. I don't know if I would go that far, but we kind of have this fusion of all these different backgrounds and all these different sounds. And so when Danny returned to... LA and joined his brother's theater troupe, he was inspired, right, by all of these different experiences that he had had. The trip to Africa, I think, explains a lot of the very interesting rhythms that you'll hear here on Dead Man's Party as we go through it. I think you can definitely hear world music influence in the percussion. Oh, for sure. And then there's also a very heavy, like, Chicano rock influence, too. I think given, you know, their location in Southern California, And given the number of Latino members in the band, I think that was, you know, that was kind of inevitable as well. Yeah, let's just get one one thing out of the way right up front. One of the reasons I love this album and almost any album that includes this factor, horns, horns, horns. Oh, yeah. I love, love a good horn section. And this album has it. They have a fantastic horn section of this band. And I love how it plays into the music. You know, one of the things I was really thrilled about earlier this year, Danny Elfman did an interview, uh, an interview called What's in My Bag, where, you know, the the people go through and they pull out like five albums. And he said in this interview that one of his biggest influences, one of my favorite bands, Madness. And when he heard the album One Step Beyond, it made him want to go out and start a band, a ska band. So there's also some ska influence. Not as much by the time they got to 85, but especially when you listen to their earlier stuff, there's definitely a ska influence in a lot of their music. All I know is their horns, and they make me very, very happy when I hear them. Do I make you horny, baby? I knew it was coming. Do I? Uh, That's an Mm -hmm. even worse follow-up, for God's sake. 
when they were performing as the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo, this avant-garde theater troupe, I mean, they were doing like all kinds of crazy shit, like dressing in gorilla costumes. They did some original music, but most of the music that they were doing was like covers of old 1940s big band stuff. Cab Calloway, I guess, was also a huge influence on Danny Elfman. They did a lot of Cab Calloway songs. Notably, at some point, Steve Bartek also joined the Mystic Knights, and so he was a guitarist. Steve Bartek and Danny Elfman really kind of became this very strong musical partnership. Bartek's strength, I think, is more in the arrangement, where Danny's more the composition. But anyway, anything you want to add about before I talk about breaking up the Mystic Knights? Oh, gee, breaking up the Mystic Knights. Well, I think we should at least mention that they managed to at least get a win on the gong show. Oh, that's true. They did. 76. And uh, the footage is out there. Have you seen it? There's footage of YouTube. I have not. I meant to watch it. because, If nothing else, I just want to know who the celebrity judges were on that panel that day who had the decency and sense to to give them. I Okay. I'm thinking one of them might have been Buddy Hackett. It doesn't, it doesn't even just the idea and mental image of Buddy Hackett watching Wingo Boingo is enough for me to like. All right, hang on, just, I gotta look this up now. Hang on, I, I will roll on that for a week. Yeah, they're pretty good, you know. Yeah, I kind of like these guys. Yep, Buddy Hackett, I was right. Oh my God, what is he wearing on his head? It's a horrible wig. Oh, and Sherry Lewis, the lamb chop lady, she was one of the judges too. What? I just miss anarchic television like that so much. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Could you get away with something like that now? They've tried to resurrect that show several times, and it has sucked every single time. Well, yeah, because you can't do it without Chuck Barris. No Gene Gene the Dancing Machine, no unknown comic, no go. Yep, yep. It was the rules. All right, so after a while, I think Danny Elfman, well, from what I've read, it sounds like there might have been a little bit of friction between Danny and Richard. But then again, I guess probably nothing more than any other two brothers working closely together would would experience. But it sounds like Danny kind of got tired of performing all these old jazz and big band covers. And so his heart wasn't in it anymore. It was starting to get stale. So he decided to dismantle the Mystic Knights and then follow his dream, passion, ignited by madness to start a band, a rock band, which he rebranded as Oingo Boingo. I have to wonder if part of the reason it was so easy to move from one band to the other, but I think in 19, this was about 1980, correct? When this happened? 70, 78 or 79. Yeah. Richard had gone broke making Forbidden Zone, lost his house, lost everything. So I, I can't help but think it was probably pretty easy for Danny to make this transition when everything was falling apart on Richard's head. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Forbidden Show? If I'd watched it, sure. <laughs> oh, but I mean, so that was a movie that the Mystic Knights did like some of the soundtrack for. I think it had Tattoo in it, didn't it? Hervé Villachez was in there. Uh, uh, Susan Terrell, who I remember mostly from Tapeheads because she's terrifying in the hand. <laughs> But I think Richard kind of, I think his aspirations were more towards the filmmaking end of things, weren't they? Mm-hmm. That's what he wanted to move into. And yeah, that did, that took him for everything. But then I think that's kind of maybe where Danny started to get the bug a little bit for composing for film scores and stuff. So so the lineup of the band has changed a little bit over the years. There's been some core members that have 
been through it through most of the time, Danny Elfman being one of them, Steve Bartek, the guitarist, John Batos Hernandez on drums. He's been not since the very beginning, but most of the history of the band. Sam Phipps on tenor saxophone, Leon Schneiderman on baritone and alto sax, and Dale Turner on trumpet and trombone. So those guys are kind of the core. They've pretty much been with it through thick and thin. When they were starting this album in 85, they also brought on bassist John Avila and keyboardist Mike Bassich. Avila was a good choice to bring in, too. His bass lines are fantastic. Oh, yeah, he's fantastic. He actually went on to produce a couple tracks for Madness. It all just keeps coming around and around and around. Everything's just going to keep coming back to Madness. I know. Okay, so what do you think? Should we start listening to the album? Can we can we mention that at least at one point, Boingo Boingo made a serious misstep and did a song for the movie Bachelor Party? <laughs> what song was that? Bachelor Party. It's over the end. It's a bachelor party. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they they are over the end credits. I didn't know that. So, ta-da! Well, I I don't think they publicize it that hard. I'll be honest with you. That's Our, that's like a forgotten movie right there. I mean, you know, everybody talks about Tom Hanks and all these wonderful films he's in, and then nobody ever, nobody ever goes back to Bachelor Party, do they? Let's go back to the soundtrack. REM's on there too, and then that's another really? thing. You. You can cut this, but REM and their uh, album Dead Letter Office, all the B-sides and little spare cuts they threw out there. At one point, one of the tracks says, from a soundtrack that will remain nameless, it's from Bachelor Party. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. There were several tracks on this album that made their way to film soundtracks. Bachelor Party was not one of them. What do you think? Should we start listening? Sure. Let's roll. This because, oh, all that background we just gave you, and you haven't even got to hear all this awesome music yet. Uh, this is my favorite Boingo song in the world to start this album. So for me, this is just an explosive beginning. Track number one, Just Another Day. Oh my God, what an amazing opening for this album from those beginning notes. It's just like. Again, just it's got that little beginning just to drag you in, and then just boom, just explodes in beauty. I absolutely love this song. Love it, love it, love it. It is my favorite song on this album. I'm not even going to save that for the end. It is my favorite. <laughs> it's a damn good song. And a lot of the songs on this album and and Oingo Boingo in general, I think lyrically Danny is exploring a lot of like themes of death and and spooky, ghost-like, you know, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. 
But I mean, there's like a, it's a recurring theme throughout this album. I had a dream last night, the world was set on fire, and everywhere I ran, there wasn't any water. And then, you know, he gets to the point and everyone was dead. I mean, and that's not like a dark, dark way to open an album, but it's so good. That entire verse reminds me so much of the episode Midnight Sun from the original Twilight Zone. Ooh, I wonder if that was one of his influences. It's probably me reading something that isn't there, but it definitely triggered that episode in my mind when I heard those lyrics. Yeah. I just, this whole thing, again, you've mentioned recurring themes. There are a lot of recurring themes on this album. Starting right here, simply, you know, it is, you know, there's a lot of loneliness here, paranoia, maybe a, a touch of agoraphobia involved in this song. Fear of attachment, fear of basically interacting with the outside world because you don't trust it. Hmm. Fear. From the band that said there was nothing to fear. My life is on the line when I'm away from home. When I step out the door, the jungle is alive. That is absolutely trying to detach yourself from the horrors of the outside world. The one line that I'm not clear on, is it razors in my bed or faces in my bed that come out late at night? Razors. Okay. And the kind of terror of being alone at night. And yeah, it's just, ooh, I love it. It gives me the chills. This one actually was used in a movie soundtrack. There was a film in 1985 starring Emilio Estevez called That Was Then, This Is Now. Oh my God, I've seen that. Yeah? I don't remember it, but I've seen it. Okay. Which probably tells you all you need to know about it. Yeah, okay. Well, so side note, when I was in college, I was the editor of my school newspaper, and I did an article on the Chicago Pedway system. There's like a series of like underground tunnels and stuff like that connecting some of the buildings downtown, where during the winter, if you know where you're going, you don't actually have to walk like street side and freeze your butt off and so i put for the headline for this article i put there's life underground i wanted to see if anybody in my college would catch this the only person that caught it was the faculty advisor for the uh, the paper so which led to me having a huge crush on him for like years and years and years the whole reference to life underground now is that death once again here yes, which is yeah absolutely yeah, it doesn't ever move it doesn't make a sound that's absolutely what it is god we could spend hours just analyzing this song couldn't we i mean yeah everything about it i mean just if you've ever felt like that moment in life where you're just when you're starting to get everything together and then that two steps back comes and just when i think that things are in their place the heavens are secure the whole thing explodes in my face this is just try to get through one more day without losing your mind with what's going on around you. And I love that no matter what the guy in the song tries to adapt because there's a smile on his face for everyone. He's learned how to blend. My favorite line of the song is there's a place in the stars for when you get old. I don't know why I like that line so much. It's just, it's comforting. Beautiful. It It's yeah. a comfort to you. It's a comfort to other people. It's a comfort to the person singing the song. Yeah. Well, that leads us to our next track, which has a similar theme, and that is Dead Man's Party.
one of the big influences here. The song, this album, the album cover, everything. Danny Elfman had said that, you know, being that he was so close to Mexico, Southern California, he would very frequently cross the border into Mexico and attend the Day of the Dead celebrations. And so I think that some of that may be inspiring some of the, the lyrics on this album. What do you think of this one? No, oh, I love this song. I absolutely love it. And if nothing else, you could definitely say the Day of the Dead inspired the artwork on the cover. That is most certain. Yeah, I've, once again, here we go. One of the great themes that's going to go all through this album is the inevitability of death, just over and over and over again. And I don't think it's anything you have to advertise, but maybe you need a reminder once in a while. It's easy to forget that this isn't going to go on for the rest of you. Know, well, actually, it is going to go on for the rest of your life. But there's that sudden stop at the end you have to worry about. <laughs> All the imagery in here is is just beautiful. I love it. I mean, this is kind of like the fun side of death, I guess, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's a party, right? Yeah, there's a party waiting for you and when you're gone. That would be fucking amazing. <laughs> Thinking of like all the people that would be waiting on the other side, you know, that'd be fucking cool. The album cover makes it look pretty sweet. Well, you know, except for like, you know, the lack of skin. Do you know anything about like how this song came about or anything? No, actually, I I really didn't do a lot of research on the, the technical side of things this time. I just kind of wanted to take it in and see how it hit me and how I felt about it and just kind of work with the lyrics because... Elfman is such a wonderful lyricist on these things. And yeah, this this song actually makes death way less scary than it should be. Well, so you had mentioned earlier about like some of the African-inspired rhythms on this album. So I guess Danny Elfman's daughter, Lola, she was a little girl at the time, and she was poking around her dad's studio. You know, it was one of those, like kids do. Oh, what's this do? Oh, what's that do? How does this work? Right. And and he started demonstrating a few things for her and he pulled up a, a drum sampler and he just came up with like a quick beat to show her how it worked. And then, you know, she's like, oh, that's nice. And she walks off. But then he's like, well, wait a second. This is actually good. I can use this. And so that actually became the backbone of this song, the, the drum sampling. So I thought that was interesting. And it is. It's what the people want. There's an urban legend that this song is uh, in reference to a short story by E.F. Benson called The Bust Conductor, specifically that whole part about the chauffeur coming to my door. However, Danny Elfman actually said in an interview, not only is it not inspired by that, he hadn't even read it. He didn't know about it. He has said that the shiny silver dollar on either eye is a reference to the Cab Calloway song, St. James Infirmary. I always just thought it's a traditional thing that they used to do with it, put the pennies on the eyes. I didn't know it was actually a reference for anything. That's that's great. But, you know, the lyrics of St. James Infirmary don't actually reference the eyes. So what you're talking about, right, the tradition of having a coin to pay the ferryman and all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, I guess it served two purposes. You have something to pay the ferryman, but then also before they had any kind of advanced technology to tell whether somebody was actually dead or not, you put the coins on the eyes. If their eyes are moving, it would become very noticeable, be very visible. Maybe they weren't really dead, right? Maybe. Maybe. So you just got to whack them a few more times to make sure. There you go. There you go. This one was used in a film soundtrack, and the band performed in the film. Yeah, that 
Back to school, uh, Rodney yeah. Dangerfield, 1986. It's one of the problems I actually have. Every time I hear this song and they get to certain parts of it, all I hear is... Nice look. What are you going for? The disassociated artist thing or the I'm going blind thing? Because <laughs> that is all Robert Downey Jr. while this song is playing in the background. And it just kills me because he's the best thing about that movie. Yes, he is. And he was so adorable back then. This also made its way into a few television series. I don't know if you remember Chuck. Yeah, I remember the, Chuck. Yeah, so it made, made its way into an episode of Chuck. And then also it was in an episode of Stranger Things. That does not surprise me in the least. And I'm, I'm sure I noticed it at the time. So Yeah. Probably started singing along, right? Probably. It happens yeah. a lot more than you'd think. Yeah. But yeah, I really, I, I, you know, I'm looking through the lyrics again, and I like that a lot of this has a lot of similarity to a song we'll be listening to later in terms of death could come at any time enjoy it while you can because you know, I was struck by lightning walking down the street I was hit by something last night in the sleep you never know so make the most of it before your dead man parties come because you know one party leads to another there you go I'm surprised so you're the the chart guru I don't think this one actually charted did it one single charted off this album one yeah and, and this wasn't it and that surprises me because in my mind this is the biggest song that they did. Surprisingly enough, this album never got past 95 on the uh, the Billboard 200 album chart. Well, you know, that doesn't really surprise me because, I mean, this is, this is a genre of music that's really difficult to pigeonhole. You know, I mean, the record labels were trying to sell them as new wave, but I think anything they didn't know how to describe it, they called new wave, right? Or alternative. Yeah, all thrown into one big barrel. Yeah, and this doesn't really appeal to a lot of people that were into the traditional new wave, you know. I mean, some people, yes. I mean, God, all the skate punks in my high school loved this album. But, you know, I remember playing this for a lot of my friends, and they're just like, what the fuck is this, you know? And they were friends that were into The Cure, or they were into synth pop or something and they just like turn this shit off you know of course now those same friends are completely obsessed with Danny Elfman and so I'm like mm -hmm, told you so all I know is it has horns and it makes me happy and I also love the instrumental break in the middle with the keyboard solo I really like things then you really get to hear all the layers of the music come out without any interference from vocals and I'm not saying Danny's interfering but it is nice to hear the musicians once in a while as well as the vocalists. Well, and this is like six minutes and 23 seconds. So, I mean, this is a, this is a long song. There's a lot going on. Doesn't feel like it. No, it really doesn't. I mean, like all the best parties, right? It's over before you know it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to take the next we are up to track three. Oh, our first non-single. Get ready. It's going to get weird, folks. Track three is called Heard Somebody Cry. Like 
start with this one? This one, I think some of the ska influences are still there. Now, not not so much a ska beat, but with the instrumentation, you know, the very heavy sax, I, I see some, you know, some of those influences there. It actually took me a half second to realize you said sax. Heavy sex in the working class. Wrong album. Close it out. I do really like the lyrics on this one. I mean, this one I think kind of gets overlooked. It's not one of the stronger tracks. It's still okay. They're all really, really good tracks. But I think if I had to pick a weaker one, I think it might be this one. But I do really like the lyrics. It isn't true. I am not the ghost without a soul. I don't know what it means. We're back to loneliness here, just like we were on the first track, I think. That, again, all my opinion, feel free to disagree with my interpretation at any time. This is just what rolls through between my ears when I listen to these things. Heaven knows if it's right or wrong. Well, okay. You know, the, the one lyric that I have no idea what it means, but I love it. The fist is like a cannonball, but it feels like a kiss. I have no idea what he's on about there, but that's a damn poetic line. Okay. The next one is one of my favorite tracks on the album. I'm going to say that a couple times because there's a couple favorites on this, but no one lives forever. I played this last year in our Halloween episode with your predecessor. And he pointed out that it is, uh, it was from, was it Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? It was the sequel to one of the horror movies. I don't suppose you would know. Nope. Don't watch a lot of that. I am very picky about my horror. I am very choosy. Hmm. And what makes good horror? Preferably something psychological rather than, oh, look, a monster for the eighth time pulling intestines. Stuff that sits with you is a lot better than stuff that makes you jump. Hang on, I'm looking. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, yeah. And then it was later used in Casper, A Spirited Beginning, a 1997 direct-to-video release. And as a theme for the October 29th, 2010 episode of Rachel Ray. They got paid well. That's probably where most of their money would have come from, would be all these residuals, you know? <laughs> Casper. I cannot get enough of this song. This is the, there, There's kind of this, like, kooky Adams Family vibe to it, almost, in the, the instrumental part. This song has to be one of the most fun songs about 
dying ever created. And I love that there's an upbeat, fun tempo that adds to the message of, once again, here we are with the inevitability of death, but rather than the party after this time, this is the party before. Don't waste time. Have a good time. Have fun. Enjoy what you've got. Grab everything. Go for the gusto. Live it up. Drink a toast and down the cup. Drink to bones that turn to dust. Love it. That's another thing. This song and a few others. One of the things I also love about this album is the use of the lower register in the voice in the background on a lot of things. I love the kind of menace that it adds to some of the songs without taking away from the fun of them. Is that Danny singing or is that John Avila with the lower register? Because John did some vocals on this album too. But I know I when Danny, when Danny kind of gets down in the lower registers, it's got kind of like this little growly, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it's, it's kind of sexy. Yeah, unfortunately, it does not list track by track here in the notes who Who's is singing, doing what. Yeah, now. it just says yeah. bass, guitar, vocals. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Hell of a way to end side one, though, isn't it? I just, this is fun. I can see, I, I have I have some goth friends who absolutely worship this song, and I kind of get why now. What a great thing to play at a party. Oh, my God. I've had a few pretty wild Halloween parties where we played this, yeah. I'm so happy dancing while the Grim Reaper cuts, 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 but he can't get me. I'm as clever as can be, and I'm very quick. But don't forget, we've only got so many tricks. That's going on my tombstone. All right. Hey, shall we flip the cassette? Or in my case, it was a cassette. Shall we flip the album over? <laughs> here we go. Flipping the side B here. There we go. All right. We flipped it over. Yes, we did. And yes, the next song is yours. It is. Where are my royalties? Elfman, you owe me a check, man. Call me. <laughs> in the meanwhile, track five is Stay. I really, really like this song a lot. I think this, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, this is the one straight-up love song on this album. Yes, I agree. But it's not a traditional love song in any way, shape, or form, is it? No, I love all the comparisons, all the little strange things that he says, because I, I think, like, what is it? This is not a sitcom where everything's all right. This is not a prison with terror through the night. If you've ever been in a relationship out there, and I'm guessing most of you have, and you listen to all the things he says, this is not in this song, 
at some point in your relationship, that is what you have felt your relationship is like. I guarantee it. A horse race where runners beat the time, a party where people know your name, a cat show with prizes at the door, which is my favorite. Yeah, no, this is this is a gorgeous song. And um, you've seen the video for it, right? With the ghosts? Yeah, isn't that cool? I think it's cool. I like stuff like that. Boy, I don't know that I have much to add on this one. I know it was released as a single, and this one didn't chart either, did it? No, it did not. The first time I heard this, but back before, kids, we had lyrics on the internet, and we had a source for lyrics called Nothing, unless you bought the album. When I originally heard this song, I thought the chorus said, won't you stay with me one more day if we get the room one more night, like a hotel room. And it added this laziness to the song that I was kind of like, oh, I kind of like this. So when I found out the real words, I was like, uh, oh, well, that changes a lot. <laughs> you know? dirty. I wasn't trying to make it dirty. It just, I don't know, just it seemed like a Boingo thing to say. Okay. This is the band that did Little Girls. Come on. Oh, okay. So this is something you probably don't know about me. My life's ambition since at least high school has been to start an all-girl Oingo Boingo tribute band. Little girls? That was originally the plan. Of course, now that I'm pushing 50, that no longer seems like an appropriate name. So now I'm thinking maybe like Void. No? Never a lad. No, no, no. <laughs> no. But uh, that's like, that's been my life's ambition. And... uh you could start an all-female Oingo Boingo tribute band, but dress as male impersonators and call yourself Beard Science. Ooh, now that's intriguing. I would totally do that. Would totally do that. Call yourself like Fool's that. Paradise. I like that, too. Ooh, that's cool, too. I did like Fill the Void, though. I was really proud of that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, yeah, Stay is, is a wonderful track. I absolutely love it. It just... I, we've all been there begging somebody not to go, I think. So it is a, it is a beautiful track of longing, and I really enjoy it a lot. It's it, it almost stands out compared to everything else on the album, but in a really good way. Definitely, I agree with you. So this one was featured in the director's cut of Donnie Darko. There's a party scene when Donnie, with uh, Donnie and Gretchen, but it's only in the director's cut. Which is what I own, so... Oh, okay. All right. And you know how much I love Donnie Darko. I think I've probably mentioned it every episode that you've been on. They did make one weird change, and I cannot remember which song it is. I think they took out The Killing Moon for the director's cut and replaced it with Never Tear Us Apart. It was the... Yes, yes, that was it. That was it. Which seemed an odd choice, so... I remember reading about that, and I try to think what the reason of it was. It had something to do with, like, the licensing or something when they were first putting it out in the theaters, I think. Great fucking movie. So the other thing that I found interesting about this, I didn't realize, this was also used as the theme song for a Brazilian telenovela called Top Model. For an album that barely scraped into the top 100, it sure got a lot of play everywhere in media. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm honestly surprised it didn't end up on, none of these ended up on Miami Vice at some point. They're a little too kooky for Miami Vice, don't you think? Not when the new music director came in fourth season. It's exactly the kind of thing you would have chosen. All right. Well, are we good with Stay? I'm excellent with Stay. All right. Next up is 
Fool's Paradise. interesting one i don't know quite what to think of this one either uh, i mean it's again it's good it's good what do you think of this one i like the message honestly what i get out of it again opinion it's that moment where and it feels like this is directed at very shallow people who finally get all the shallow things they ever wanted and they achieve everything they wanted and then they finally get there and they're like oh this is it this is what i fought for this is nothing. Oh, that's interesting. Now that we found this precious place, how do we keep from going crazy now? Now, my life is leading to this day, watching the whole thing slip away. It's just a fool's paradise. Was it worth it? Was it worth the price you paid? And that, that's the question that seems to be asked here. God, you know, as many times as I've listened to this, I've never thought about it in that way. It's interesting. I think it shows the fault in people in the second verse, especially with dirty stains on brand new linen, fresh tracks on virgin snow, caught a saint while he was sinning. It's all a fool's paradise. Everybody you think is perfect and everything you think is pristine isn't as pristine as you think it is. Oh, I can't. I, how am I supposed to follow that? I have nothing. I can't follow that. I don't know. You're You're the doctor. I guess you could introduce the next song then. I mean, that that's fantastic. I There's absolutely nothing I can possibly add to that. Wow. I feel kind of bad in a way. <laughs> what? I feel kind of bad in a way. No, don't. Don't feel bad. I, I mean, that's like really deep and profound and more than I would have come up with. So Who, who would have thought it came out of me? <laughs> Moving along, we are up to track seven. And the title for this one is kind of a good piece of advice for my entire life. It is entitled, Help Me. really like this one this one is another really underrated track once again we're back to building walls i think against the outside world until 
something breaks them down. And in this particular case, I think it's the the desire for company. Mm. When you spend your whole life building stone castles. And when the walls start to crumble, exposed to the world. Yeah. Like when he says the temperature's rising, how a cool drink would help. I think she's the cool drink. Well, you're assuming it's a she, but yeah. Well, it's Elfman, I'm guessing. Yeah. Been thirsty for years. Hungry for something, just the touch of your flesh to soothe and refresh. He's just empty by himself, and that's why the chorus, you've got to help you gotta help to make me somebody. He's yeah. nobody without somebody. It's like a Dean Martin song. <laughs> <laughs> How did we go from Danny Elfman to Dean Martin? I wasn't expecting that. Uh, the names both begin with D. I think that counts. I, I do have to say, I do think the rhythm guitar is really strong on this one, and that would be Danny. Danny would be the one playing the rhythm guitar. He's like an absolute musical prodigy. People that he's worked with have said that he can just pretty much pick up any instrument and in a matter of minutes figure out how to play it. And can can play things by ear. And there were also some complaints, I guess, when he was with the Mystic Knights when he did do some original compositions. Because what he was coming up with was either so completely complicated or, in some cases, the musicians had said, literally impossible for a human being to play. <laughs> it almost seems kind of like a shame, you know, to have him... I mean, I don't want to be belittling rhythm guitar. Rhythm guitar is, you know, necessary. It's fantastic. But it just... It seems like such a minor role for him when we expect something so big and so outsized, you know? Rhythm guitar is what drives a track. Yep. Yep. Can pick up any. So he's like, he's like Prince. He's like the Prince of Oingo Boingo. He's the Prince of Darkness. I'm thinking of that picture of him with the devil horns. And yeah, it totally suits him. Of course, now he looks like an elderly Jewish grandmother. What the hell happened? No elderly Jewish grandmother is that ripped. Okay. I mean, I don't spend a lot of time at the gym, and one look at me will tell you that, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I did, there wouldn't be, you know, some poor Jewish grandma, and they'd be like, work it out. I'll change my own light bulbs from now on. No more sitting in the dark. Sounds to me like you're the same man, same man you were before. Actually, in a way, yes, and that's kind of what this whole song is kind of about, I think. So, yeah. Would you so, like to? Yes. Yes, let's play. Let's play it. Same band I was before. Let's play it. another one where i i love the kind of kooky instrumentation here it's just it, it's so fabulous and again even like little baby Lori listening to this in, in the 80s just getting so stuck on the lyrics you know i'm not the same ghost that i was before but i converse with the spirits i i find that 
that piece particularly interesting. For the most part, when I get through most of the song, and we'll talk about the parts where I kind of get lost here in a minute, what I gather from this, again, from my own personal observations, some of us, as we get older, maybe we change our views or something like that. This seems to be where Elfman's like, I've aged, I've gotten older, I've been through things, but while I'm not the same person I was before, the mental convictions I have in my life haven't changed. It's almost like he's aged, but mentally he hasn't changed. Kind of like, I'm in my 50s, and there are days where my mind still works like I'm a teenager, (laughs) where I still feel that mental energy and... I can't even, now I'm losing my words. I, I, I've not changed my desires. I've not extinguished the fires. I guess I see that. Now, where I get lost is the two by two verses. Two by two, walking hand in hand, the bones come marching from the promised land. I mean, if nothing else, I can certainly associate the, the part where it says, it burns in my ears when they sing, everything you do is wrong. <laughs> Welcome to my growing up. It might not mean anything. You know, we, we might be totally overanalyzing it. It might not mean anything at all. I went out of my way to overanalyze for the show. I enjoyed it. But yeah, I mean, I, I really admit, I can't completely associate with this song because I have changed a lot of my social views over the year. And I really hope I'm on the right side at this point. I've become delayed back as far as things go. But that's, that's what I take away from this song is like, I've gotten older and I don't feel the same in that respect, but my mind hasn't changed and I still stick to what I've always known. And the part you mentioned where the, mm-hmm. the I'm not the same ghost I was before, but I converse with the spirits where when people talk, I don't hear it. I walk through doors where no one sees me. So he still blends in is how I, I is the takeaway I get from that. I disappear whenever it may please me. So what, like an Irish goodbye? Oh, I thought that's just how you left the club or something if you retired to somebody. This guy's annoying. Let's leave in mystery. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a fun song and one of the few fades on the album. Most of these have a cold stop on them. Ooh, I didn't catch that. I'm thinking about that now. It may be the only fade on the entire album, actually. I think you're right. I think you're right. Wow. It's a and, red letter um, day. I'm right. Yeah. Stop. I got who's somebody was saying the other day, it was just making me laugh. They were saying how, you know, when musicians have to do a fade out, that's kind of like a cop out. You know, it's like they admit they didn't know how to end the song. So they just faded out. <laughs> you gotta figure it out if you're touring. So Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Try that crap in concert. They'll milly vanilla your ass. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to the final track. Now, this, of course, is the track almost everybody knows, thanks to its inclusion in a film by a little filmmaker by the name of John Hughes. And this is concluding our album today. Track nine is Weird Science. From my heart and from my hand, why don't people understand my intention? And bands, bits and pieces, and 
another another track that's over six minutes long. It's got some long songs on here. Well, from what I read, the 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 single version that came out on the forty five and it was included with the soundtrack. I read somewhere that that was originally just a demo version. They hadn't worked out the whole thing yet. And Hughes went and used it anyway. And the version you're hearing on this album, the six minute, that is the version in completion as Elfman originally won. So the story about this is supposedly Danny Elfman got the call from John Hughes, you know, pitched to him, told him the idea of the film Weird Science. And in the 15 minutes or so that it took Danny to drive back to his studio, he claimed that he heard the whole thing in his head it's almost like one of those cases where it's just i don't know downloaded from from above you know what i mean it just kind of appeared and then he went and recorded it in in his studio that day this i think was their biggest charting hit wasn't it i mean not just on the album i think of all time yes it was this was their only single to ever actually hit the top 100 on billboard in the united states it peaked at number 45 it sounds very different than the other songs on the album, almost like maybe it was tacked on at the end. I mean, you kind of indicated something at the beginning of the episode. Was that the was this the song you were thinking of that kind of seemed... It feels out of place. It does indeed feel tacked on because, yeah, it just feels like, you know, this was the big single. Let's throw it on at the end and maybe we'll sell more copies. And I'm guessing that is MCA's decision, not Oinkle Boinko's. And reportedly the band... This is like the one song that they don't like. Well, from what I read, Elfman has several reasons why he doesn't like it. One is the video, which he absolutely hates because he had no say in the production of it whatsoever. Oh, okay. The other reason I read is apparently the video showed up on a Beavis and Butthead episode. And when Danny found out, he pretty much said, at that point, I never wanted to play that song again. Really? See, and and I've said in other episodes that, like, to me, you know you've made it as an artist, as a musician, when Beavis and Butthead are making fun of your video. Uh, It does stand out compared to... No, go ahead. Sorry. He he didn't take it as a compliment then, huh? No, he did not take it as a compliment. (laughs) I'm going to have to go look that that up now. Uh, Of course, you know, we have to mention the sample, right? She's Alive from Bride Bride of Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yes. Not a lot of samples in Boingo songs. Again, I have a I have a funny feeling MCA had something to do with this. I don't know. It just it it doesn't feel right in the middle of that song. Like because like you said, nothing else is sampled and suddenly this yeah. is here. It feels like they had to connect it to the movie because that scene's there. Right, right, right. It's not a bad song. There's nothing wrong with this song, but it does feel like it does not fit in with the rest of the album debate. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned misheard lyrics earlier. My first husband swore up and down it was voodoo dolls and chimps. <laughs> I don't want the girl they're making from that. He was not very bright. I really do not want that girl. Okay, we got everything ready. Get the magazine. Bring the National Geographic <laughs> in here. And and you know what? I got to say, that is my least favorite John Hughes film. I, it is just absolutely terrible. It is my so least bad. favorite 80s John Hughes film. Okay. All right. You can't expect me to watch Curly Sue. Come on. I've never seen that. See? Okay. 
no, it's not my favorite either. But like, I do enjoy the song. It is. It just it feels out of place here when everything else has this theme of loneliness and the inevitability of death and that longing for love. And then weird science comes in. It's flesh and blood. I do not know. See, he doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it it's definitely for the film. But like I said, good song, bad placement. Where would you have placed it? On the soundtrack. Oh, okay. Kept it off the album entirely? Yeah. If I would have done, if this album had not had weird science, I would have resequenced it slightly to have stay inside A and have No One Lives Forever in the album. Oh, I like that. I like that. Of course, then the album's going to be really short. So maybe they should pull something from like, I don't know, Danny Elfman's solo gratitude or something. Throw that in here. Yeah, throw gratitude in as a solo track. It's a good tune. That's also from a movie soundtrack. Which movie? It's either Beverly Hills Cop 1 or 2. I think it's 2. Because that was released in 84, right? Yes. Yeah, 84. Beverly Hills Cop came out, I think, December 84. Would have been close. I don't know. Maybe. All right, we're going to look it up. That's what we got the Google for. No, I'm thinking it's 1 now. I don't God. Or maybe I it was it might be one, two. I don't think I ever own. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I actually Beverly own all Cop three soundtracks, soundtrack? but. Track seven on Beverly Hills Cop one. Hey, by two, it was all George Michael and Pebbles and Charlie Sexton. So. All right. Well, fantastic album from start to finish. Like you said, not a bad track on it. And what a great album for this time of year play this for your trick-or-treaters when they come around throw candy at them hard <laughs> make them understand the inevitability of death there you go <laughs> no i'm gonna be around because i am going on on the 31st i'm gonna go see the church oh fancy yeah. schmancy yeah well you know you kind of got me into them after that last episode so might as well I'll be sitting here watching Halloween and Halloween 2 straight in a row. That is my yearly tradition on Halloween. Nice. To me, that is where the Halloween saga ends. There's nothing else after that. Two, done. All right. Well, uh, we're going to be back in two weeks. And uh, Rob, thank you for letting me pull rank here because I uh, kind of said this is the album we're doing and you didn't have any say so. So we're I know be... you've wanted to. Do, I know you've wanted to do this. But I'm fine with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So our next episode in two weeks is going to be an album deep dive on "Nothing Shocking" by Jane's Addiction, and I am really, really stoked for that one. I am interested to do this one because I mentioned to you I've never been the biggest Harry Farrell fan in any way, shape, or form. So I like that you're taking me a bit out of my comfort zone with an album that I've really not listened to very much, so I can get a fresh impression on it and maybe change my mind okay well you kind of did the same for me with the church i mean i never really sat down and forced myself to listen to it so so this is good we're just going to keep uh keep pulling each other out of our comfort zones huh turn about is fair play all right sounds good so on that note it's a goodbye from me and it's a goodbye for me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed the music, and I hope you go find the album if you've never listened to it, because it is worth an entire listen. 
Oh, and they did an extended uh, extended edition two years ago. There you go. Find that one too. Buy them all. Got to catch a ball. Till next time, everybody. Stay strange. <laughs>